This week on Ultra 64, we travel into the ancient ruins of an abandoned blockbuster and unearth Indiana Jones and the Infernal Machine. Does it belong in a museum? I don't know. Let's find out. Welcome, everybody, to Ultra 64. We are the Internet's comprehensive Nintendo 64 podcast, and each week we're going through and playing every game in the Nintendo 64 Every catalog. Every week we play every game. Every week it's... we play every game. We, ha- we have no time to get anything else done. We're, all, we're dying of starvation over here, people. My name is Steve Gunley. I am Assistant Professor of Egyptology, Woody Siskowski. Oh, you got the Assistant Professorship. That's very nice. Yeah, You're no, not tenured yet, though. No, it's no, it's no. rough when you have no degree. It's very painful, it's, yeah. it's hard. I'm really impressed I made it this far. It's an accomplishment. With having a bachelor's in English. Just make, I mean, if you just walk in anywhere with confidence, I think that helps. Like, yeah, just mm-hmm. like, yeah, of course I'm president. Who cares? Yeah. Uh, welcome, everybody. We're talking this week about a game called Indiana Jones and the Infernal Machine, which means we've arrived once more at a topic that... That is too big for our show to contain. Uh, I think I'm going to say something that might rankle some Indiana Jones fans out there, uh, of which I, I count myself as one. I think Indiana Jones is the best. I don't, I'm trying to think of how to phrase this grammatically. <laughs> it's the best property out there in which half of the stuff involved with it is garbage. Okay. Is that fair? Yeah, to no, say? that's that's fair. You, you understand where I'm going from? It's there, like, there's okay, two like, there's two great movies. Two really exceptional movies. Two uh, a smattering bad movies. Uh, yeah, smattering of okay games, a few episodes of the TV show that were fine, and the Disneyland ride is mediocre. Oh man, that seems like a hot take. That was <laughs> that, that was the one be. I could I could do. It one didn't involve anything that was too scary for me. Okay. I mean, I only have been to Disneyland once and I was in my 30s already, so like okay. maybe the appeal of it was kind of lost on me. A lot of it was just waiting in line. Indi- but Indiana Jones, I mean, it's part of my favorite. It's one of the best representations of this sort of adventure ancient ruins genre which yeah. is one of my favorite genres of things just in general this treasure it's hunting really hard not to just get caught up in it it's so like raiders of the lost ark in particular is so fun and it's mm-hmm. so goofy and it's so just like i don't i don't know it's just got this energy to it that's just incredible and that movie has not aged at all i think it's still phenomenal it's damn near perfect and the the i mean i just really enjoy like the the these exotic areas that they go to and the treasures that they unearth are just they're always really appealing i mean just to go see these you know these sort of ancient incan stuff like in museums is really cool um and I was a big fan, big fan of Tintin. I feel like that oh, sort yeah. of is that same aesthetic. Yeah, I feel uh, like this is the kind of the, the more grown up offshoot of that. So I mean, we, yeah. we've never really talked about Indiana. Are you a fan? Um, I, I agree with you. I really, I mean, Raiders of the Lost Ark. I, I don't consider like it one of my personal favorite movies, but mm. like I'll agree that it's just it's really good and fun. It's hard. I don't know. I guess for me, listing movies like. Raiders of the Lost Ark or Star Wars New Hope is like personal favorite seems odd. Well, they almost seem they're like, like they're separate. Yeah. Well, it just like, yeah, because like we assume we know they're great. There's not really like a, 
you're not really going out on a limb on saying that that movie's great the way yeah. you might be, you know, going out and recommending Riccio, the story of Ricky or something. God, that movie but, rules. Oh, my yeah. God, that's amazing. Yeah, I think it's kind or of... Or the this... Mario Brothers movie, whatever whatever weird personal Ugh. take you have that's a little more controversial. I feel like but... one of these days I just want to do an episode where you and I just watch the Mario Brothers movie because I, I feel like I want to see it through your eyes because I just don't get your affinity <laughs> for that movie at all. Uh, yeah, but I, I feel like... The the Star Wars comparison is apt because, like, you know, I was thinking about when I saw Last Jedi. I'm like, man, this is an incredible movie. I love this movie. Yeah. And then I'm like, I wouldn't put it in my top films of the year just because it's like a separate category. It's like this is this is a Star Wars movie and it's going to be kind of on its own thing. Yeah. And Indiana Jones kind of tends to be the same way. Like, yeah, I, I, would, I would agree. Like, Raiders is a movie I've seen probably 30 times in my life. And... Uh, I still don't know if it would crack the top 10 just because it's a different thing. Star Wars wouldn't crack the top 10 either. And also, I think we're both levels of film nerds where we have to have something a little more Yeah, it's a, yeah that's true. I mean, I already feel... Have you seen the, the French uh, original version of Indiana Jones? <laughs> La Pupi, yes, yes, yeah. very good. Yeah, yeah, nobody puts him in the corner. That's dirty dancing. Uh, anyway, but uh, <laughs> yeah, I, th- I think the strengths of the two movies that work are enough to overwhelm the two that don't. For the record, the two that don't, for me, are Temple of Doom and Kingdom of the Crystal Skull. Yep. I will hear arguments on Temple of Doom. I will not entertain any kind of revisionist bullshit nonsense like like on Kingdom of the Crystal Skull like you damn millennials tend to do with the uh, prequel Star Wars trilogy yeah, trying, to, I know. trying to make that out like it's better than it is. Yeah. It's really not. And um, Yeah, Temple of Doom I don't think is intrinsically a badly put together movie. It's just very unpleasant. It's unpleasant. Um, yeah, that's to the a good point where it. it's not fun. And I mean, most people probably know this, but that movie was one of the, the reasons that the PG-13 rating mm-hmm got created that in uh, gremlins that same year yeah, yeah because yeah. people you know they brought their kids to see raiders of the lost ark and it was fun and it had some scary parts but then they brought their kids to see temple of doom and there's like guys hearts being ripped out and eating monkey brains is what really grossed me out as a kid. yeah and it's just yeah it just is very dour yeah and 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 a very poorly written female lead uh which was really unfortunate i'm going from marion ravenwood in the first one to this like shrieking idiot you know and kate capshaw plays that part as well as she can but they wrote that movie so poorly and then there's the little kid sidekick who's also very annoying yeah yeah short round i I think that i i read that um right about that time i think uh either i think both spielberg and lucas were going through divorces yeah or and so yeah you know maybe they translated a little bit of that energy and i think harrison ford might have been as well oh man because i know well i don't know when he got divorced because he was married to melissa matheson who was the screenwriter for et and a couple of other movies and uh at the time their divorce was the highest settlement anyone ever reached for a divorce like she got more money off of that divorce than anybody ever has before so there was a lot of bitterness going around. Yeah, so I could see that. Was that was that anger. was a script Harrison Ford pitched. It was he has to break into his ex-wife's house and steal back the alimony. All right, we're going to get to the bottom of the mystery of the son of a bitch who ran off with my wife. Yeah, that's my Harrison Ford impression. It's about as well as the guy in the game. I would say better than the guy in the game. Uh, I mean, I think Indiana Jones always kind of connected with me, and I think he tends to kind of connect with nerds in general because he is the ultimate nerd. This <laughs> yeah. is this is the steroidal, <gasps> pumped up like version. Like if you're feeling really fucking, good, there's a part in the movie. It's not a great movie, but the uh, 500 Days of Summer 
where like Joseph Gordon-Levitt just has sex with the girl that he likes and he's like feeling like a pimp and he's walking outside and he catches his own reflection and it's Harrison Ford looking back at nice. him. I feel like that's how you feel. <laughs> like if you're a real nerdy dude and you're having a good day, you feel like Indiana Jones. Well, because he's like half action star, like half librarian. Yeah, right? he's like, it's so jarring in the first Raiders. Like you see this big, tough, mysterious guy braving this temple running from a boulder and then it's smash cut and he is a bookish professor with these with little, little thin glasses. wireframe grasses and a tweed suit. And it's such a great contrast, you know, and he uh, and and he does like expose vulnerability. He's afraid of snakes. He he gets hurt like he gets beat up and uh, he's a tough and resilient guy, but he's got his weak points. So it's it's a fantastic character. And uh, Harrison Ford is perfect in it. And uh, yeah, so I, I, I love Raiders and Last Crusade is a blast. Uh, it's definitely not as iconically perfect as raiders is but i mean you got sean connery's that's a great fun great pairing oh god sean connery harrison ford pairing. even though i didn't even realize as a kid that sean connery's like two years older than harrison ford <laughs> he's playing his dad in that really at yeah. that time yeah yeah oh, they're only man. a few years apart um that's... yeah so anyway well let's well I'll, i'm not gonna go too much into the history of raider of uh indiana jones any more than i just did but i'll say he was introduced in 1981 with the release of george, steven spielberg and george lucas's raiders of the lost ark uh which was inspired by their love of old serialized adventure stories you know they would show little 15 minute clips of these movies before movies which wouldn't actually surprise me if Tintin was one of the inspirations for it as a major thing oh, since, i wouldn't doubt that um, yeah. spielberg you know was always pushing to do the Tintin movie. Oh, that's right. That so, was him, wasn't yeah, it? Him yeah, him and Peter yeah. Jackson. Did, wait, did Spielberg direct that one, or did Jackson direct? Uh, that he one? Did, Spielberg directed Spielberg that directed one. There's been a, there was a push to do a random random nerdy aside into the mm. Tintin movie because I was a fan. Um, yeah, I liked that movie. Yeah, it was it was cool, but a lot of sort of enthusiasm for it kind of waned after it came out. It was kind of a big deal, but it was so like Tintin is very old uh, comic strip. You know, started in I think the 30s. Yeah. Um, and Belgium. I feel I just felt like a lot of the tropes that were in that movie had been done many times in Indiana Jones. Yeah, like so that that was sort of Indiana Jones was the thing that sort of made these things into like mainstream tropes. And like so, like when you go play Uncharted or Tomb Raider, it all references back to Indiana Jones, mm-hmm. even though Indiana Jones ex- itself was referencing these things that were much older. But like people our age aren't going to have any I- real idea about. It's true. Did you discover uh, Indy first or Tintin first? Do you uh, Tintin, Tintin first. that okay. was a little, you know, more my age. Okay. But. Yeah. And that, yeah, I didn't come to Tintin until I was an adult, but uh, those are great. Um, so Raiders of the Lost Ark, uh, was the number one grossing movie of 1981. Uh, it was, went on to be nominated for eight Oscars, including best picture, which is still pretty unusual for like a genre picture like this to get a best picture nomination. Yeah. Uh, and of course, it was followed by three sequels worldwide. The series has grossed an estimated two billion dollars. Uh, Raiders is listed as the a- in the AFI's list of the top movies of all time at number sixty-six. That's a little low for me. I would actually yeah, say. I, yeah, agree. I, would, I would put that higher than a lot of those. And Empire Magazine named Indy the greatest movie character of all time, all capital letters. Holy smokes! So uh, Indiana Jones, of course, is played by Harrison Ford, who was uh, he was famously a last-minute replacement for Tom Selleck, who uh, all but had the role. But he had a contract to do uh, Magnum P.I. And Spielberg and Lucas tried for like a couple months to try and uh, talk them out of it. And they wouldn't let him go. So he had to go on to be on Magnum P.I., which was a successful show, obviously. But it's not Indiana it's Jones. Really, it's 
I, if this doesn't exist, I'm pitching this idea right now. Somebody should do a podcast about media for, or like roles that almost went to someone else. Ooh. Because I was just listening to a podcast on Die Hard. Mm-hmm. They were talking about how the role of John McClane, they were contractually obligated to offer it to Frank Sinatra. Yeah. Which would have been was, a very different movie. It would have been very different. Because I, if I remember correctly, they made another film version, like a prior film version uh, of Die Hard with mm-hmm. uh, Frank Sinatra back in the 60s. Like, it was based on a novel. And then they just kind of adapted it and made it into this whole different thing by the time it got to be Die Hard. But yeah, that'd be amazing. It'd be amazing to see some of the footage of, like, mm-hmm. Eric Stoltz in Back to the Future. Like, which he was actually, he actually shot a lot of footage for that movie, and then he was just fired. Which, like, <laughs> that sucks. Like, I always feel so bad for him, because it's like, they just, they didn't have any problem with him. They just kind of decided midway he just wasn't right. But, I mean, it's so hard to argue with him because so many of these roles, it's just so weird to think of anyone else playing them. Oh, God. Okay, like, well, li- check out this list of people who were considered for the role of Indiana Jones yeah. and tell me how different these movies would have okay. been. Uh, Bill Murray. Oh, man. Chevy <laughs> Chase. Steve Martin. Nick Nolte. Tim Matheson. Peter Coyote. And Jack Nicholson were oh, all wow. like, very serious. I would, I would watch the same movie it, three times with... Harrison Ford, Steve Martin, and then Jack Nicholson. I would, I would Just be, want, yeah. I would be very happy. What about the Nick Nolte version? <laughs> or even the Chevy Chase one. It's like, oh god, I can't even imagine what that would look like. Would, I mean, it he, would just be him falling all Chevy the time. Chevy Chase is like on his own planet. Like every movie ever watched, like he's in a different movie than anyone else in the movie. So like, I can't imagine how that would even work. It's why? Why do you think they went to so many people? I mean, Harrison Ford was well. A, from what I read. Uh, George Lucas, like, just didn't want... He, he felt like he'd worked with Harrison Ford too many times. Mm. Like, they, they did American Graffiti together, and then they did Star Wars together, and he's like, I don't I don't want him to get pigeonholed, you know? I don't want him to be, like, my, the Robert De Niro to my Scorsese, you know? Okay. And uh, so, initially, he didn't really want to give it to him, but then, uh, of course, later, he's recanting. He's like, yeah, there's no one else who could have played this that, part. Yeah, that horribly unproductive partnership between De Niro and Scorsese <laughs> that everyone regrets. Yes, yeah, the worst. <laughs> it's produced so many stinkers and turds. No one likes it. Stinkers and turds, two yeah. different things. That was, <laughs> that's their next movie, actually. Yeah. It's called Stinkers and Turds. So, I mean, it's hard to imagine anyone else in this part, but I think we're kind of getting to the point where I think we should be considering, if, if not recasting, then at least retiring, because um, yeah. as of this recording, uh, Indy 5 is slated for release in 2021, which means Harrison Ford will be 78 years old when Holy that movie cow. shoots. That's just when it shoots. When it comes out, he'll be close to 80. Hey, uh, and uh, he's... Look, Harrison Ford, he's a piece of meat at any age. <laughs> he, he looks better at 70-whatever he is than I have ever had in my life and ever will. You know, he's a snack, and he can he can do all this stuff. But at the same time, the human body has limits, and I just... I. I worry about his health. I worry about, and he's prone to accidents too. So I worry about his health. Well, I mean, hopefully I, you know, maybe they'll find something cool to do it with like Stallone did for the Creed, for Creed, where that's yeah. sort of about him passing the mantle along to a, a protege. And see, I'd be cool with that. I mean, I, Crystal Skull, they were kind of trying to float that idea with Shia LaBeouf as Mutt Williams. So it was going to be like a series of Mutt Williams films. And then, uh, you know, the, the train left on Shia LaBeouf and uh, everybody hated that movie. Yeah, every, everybody was on the Shia LaBeouf train and it left the hey, station quick. It, it was only 10 years ago. Everybody was thinking Shia LaBeouf was going to be the next big thing. And uh, then craziness happened. But... Uh, I mean, I've heard Chris Pratt's name kicked around. Mm. I think the train might have like almost he, left yeah. on him, too. I think so. Point. I think once uh, 
people lost enthusiasm pretty quick on him. I think those Jurassic World movies kind of did him in. Yeah, that second Jurassic World movie is a real stinker. And a turd. Yeah. It's a stinker and a turd. Yeah. I feel like the most successful uh, character into a new actor was uh, Tom Hardy as Mad Max. Oh, God, yes. Um, yeah. But I feel like the advantage of that is all that Mad Max really has to do is sort of dramatically stand there and be tough and look at stuff like it's so you, not well fleshed out yeah and so you can have fury characters road like is that. not even a mad max movie it's a furiosa movie you can have characters like that um you know that really carry over like batman usually does most people have done okay interpretations of him yeah. um james where, bond sure yeah like exactly he's, he's kind of a cipher you know you just need to whereas i feel like you know indy developed into a little more of a fleshed out character so it's yeah i don't know see what they come so uh, have have you seen the movie Raiders, the the documentary Raiders? I have not, but I, kn- oh. I do know what it's about. I, I, I saw this movie. It's fantastic. I mean, this is kind of indicative of what the fan community for Indiana Jones is. Basically, a group of kids in Biloxi, Mississippi uh, started trying to make their own version of the movie, mm-hmm. uh, like a scene-for-scene scene remake uh, in 1982 when they were 11 years old. And they just kept working on it for 30-something <laughs> years. The new documentary, the Raiders documentary, follows them as they're trying to shoot the final couple of scenes. Like, and they actually have a budget. Like, they're trying to shoot the scene where Indy's fighting the guy on the airplane. Yeah. Uh, the big guy who gets knocked on the propeller. Yeah. So they're trying to shoot that scene. That's all they need to finish the movie. And uh, it's a really intense documentary because one of the guys, like, is constantly facing the threat of losing his job. Because he has to keep calling and asking for extensions uh, so he can keep working on this movie. And somebody's almost killed in an explosion oh at one gosh. point. Like, And, I mean, the, the guy who plays Indy has like, been struggling with drug addiction for since, like, the movie stopped. But it's pretty incredible. Uh, and it's a, it's a great story. And it's uh, – it, I don't know. You can find an argument for why they would make this movie. Mm-hmm. Like, everybody thought it was ridiculous that they're making it because it exists already. <laughs> but uh, they, they put so much into it. It became kind of a little cult favorite. So check out Raiders. That's a really good uh, look into the fan community of this. Uh, let's talk about Indian video games. Mm-hmm. He's had quite a few. So the first indie game was 1982's Raiders of the Lost Ark for Atari 2600. <laughs> so, did you ever play this? I did. Okay, this is... It's famously ambitious and famously broken. <laughs> so... You have to As play it. Many with, Atari games are. This one is so weird. You have to play it with two controllers, uh, <laughs> like at the same time. There's so many. You know, when you buy Atari games now, like you're not gonna find many that come with the manual, and you no. think, oh, this is just an Atari game. How hard can it be to figure out? <laughs> and you just start playing, and you don't. You see dots and squares, and you're like, okay. I'll move my stick, and that square moves around. But there's no in. Yeah, yeah. Because Atari it doesn't. Um, it doesn't register any text. It doesn't show you text on the screen. Oh uh, yeah. And, <laughs> and there's no one, intro screen or anything. You're you're going to have to really take the graphics with a grain of salt because <laughs> there's no way of really telling what you're looking at. Uh, and, I mean, things can change in that game depending on how fast you walk off the screen. Sometimes if you inch your way off the screen, you'll be on a ledge. But if you, like, move quickly off the screen, you'll be at the bottom of a pit. And, uh, you, I mean, you just need to kind of know all this stuff. Yeah, licensed games for the Atari are sort of a, a, a strange can of worms because yeah. it's so abstract. You take, um, you know, these fully fleshed out worlds and characters and you're like, okay, now render this with squares. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I tried doing that with a, uh, a game called Sword Quest mm-hmm. or like uh, Fire Quest or something like that. Well, there, uh, yeah, yeah, Sword Quest Sword, was Sword a Quest. series and there was Fire World That's right. and Water World. Sword Quest and Fire World, I think it's the one I played. Yeah, I and, think they're uh, all kind of the same. But Yeah, and of course the amazing story behind that is that you could actually win real treasure 
sure. And I really want to find that anyway. That's a whole other story yeah. for another day. But yeah, I had the same issue where I'm just like, all right, what is going on? I see flashing dots. <laughs> I see a field of green. If I move to the next world, it's a field of blue. Yeah. I think I'm this dot. It, Atari games uh, succeed when they are about as complicated as Pong or maybe mm. a few steps up or Space Invaders. Sure, and once, yeah. once they get past that, they get they get pretty hard to play. And this is one of the few Atari games you can beat. Like, there's an actual beginning, mm-hmm. middle, and end of it. So that's noteworthy in itself, but uh, it is really uh, hard to figure out. Unless there's, like, some game facts out there for this, I Which wouldn't I'm recommend. Which I'm sure there it. is. There's game facts for everything. There is, yeah. Oh, God, what was the game we were talking about? Battlezone. Somebody <laughs> who went through and, like, charted out Battlezone for us. So some of the other games are fairly well-liked. Uh, we were talking earlier about the, the Fate of Atlantis and The Last Crusade. These are both, like text-based uh or not text-based text- like point and click yeah they're done in the same games. style as like maniac mansion yeah. and day of the tentacle um and so those have really nice sort of graphical styles you could get a cd-rom version that had voice acting yeah um and you know those do a good job um sort of meshing with the indiana jones world because you know you get artifacts to solve puzzles and things like that it makes a lot more sense than in like the resident evil world yeah where you're in an yeah. office building and you're like placing idols to open doors yeah whereas yeah, yeah. indiana jones it sort of fits a lot better it does make a little bit more sense and i mean if you like that kind of point and click adventure game like you know some people's mileage may vary on it but mm-hmm. uh, th- those are really good ones and then uh, I would also recommend Indiana Jones's Greatest Adventures for the Super NES because they basically adapted the Super Star Wars formula, and those Super Star Wars games are fantastic. Yeah. And it it's works... not as good as those games. It's not but... quite as good because there's a really frustrating like minecart level. I remember mm-hmm. in uh, the Temple of Doom section that took me forever to get through, but it's a satisfying uh, little game. And then, but the rest of them are just kind of crappy. Like there was. Uh, Emperor's Tomb, which was an Xbox exclusive, uh, that was just kind of baffling. I couldn't figure out how to play it. Staff of Kings for the Wii. Never even tried it because it's a Wii exclusive. Who cares? I think there were two Last Crusades for the NES, um, both was, of which were very bad. And uh, the Temple of Doom game on the NES is unplayable. Mm. It's like an adaptation of the arcade game, and they're trying to create some kind of perspective like you're looking at things from the side of a cliff but really everything just looks flat and you're constantly when you jump you're constantly being pulled to the ground and it, nothing makes sense it's just kind of impossible to play i mean i would say indie's biggest video game legacy is just the fact that it's a direct inspiration for tomb raider mm-hmm. which was originally supposed to be a male character and it was and then they decided to change it just because they thought it would be too similar to indiana jones well and then a direct inspiration to uncharted which was then, again, a direct inspiration to the new uh, 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 Tomb Raider games, which kind of, yeah, so it goes full circle. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, I mean, that's a big deal. I mean, it, I, I like a world that has Tomb Raider and Uncharted in it, so yeah. I, I can appreciate that. Well, let's, uh, let's talk about this game a little bit. Well, we need to talk about the history of Infernal Machines in gaming. Oh, do you have one? I do. Oh, let's um, hear it. The Infernal Machine is also a endgame quest in Diablo 3. Oh, really? Where you would get these Infernal Machines that would transport you to alternate dimensions to fight ultra bosses, which you would then harvest their organs in order to make hellfire rings and amulets. And I don't know why that... I don't know why the term Infernal Machine got used in Diablo 3. I wonder if it was some kind of reference to this game or if infernal machine somehow tracks back to something in the bible or i i looked this up and all i could find was it was a, a french play uh, okay from the this uh, oh, it's from it's from the um you know the early the early french indiana jones yeah they... oh yeah absolutely <laughs> the tintin yeah, that's right yeah. <laughs> um, yeah oh god who was it it was uh it's it's killing me that i can't think of this french guy's name the guy back in the 40s like uh, orpheus and beauty and the beast and um 
I don't know. I'll think of it later. Oh, okay. Me. I, but, I know I know what you're talking about. Yes, yes. <laughs> I can't, I'm blanking on his name. But uh, anyway, Indiana Jones and the Infernal Machine was released December 15th, 2000, published and developed by LucasArts and with some contributions by Factor 5. And it was also available on PC and Game Boy Color. You can still buy it on Steam. Oh, that's right. Yeah, yeah you can. Yeah, it's the, cheap. It's like the, five bucks on right, Steam. And I'm sure on a sale, it's like 30 cents. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's how Steam works. We've talked about uh, LucasArts and Factor 5 both before, so I won't go into them too much. Except I'll still say I still miss LucasArts. They're great. Me and Lindsay are playing uh, uh, Thimbleweed Park right now, which is by uh, Ron Gilbert, uh, ah. the, one of the creators of Monkey Island and mm-hmm. a, a Lucasfilm Star Wars. Or, LucasArts stalwart, and uh, this one's just given me all the nostalgia for those old <laughs> LucasArts games, more so than Indiana Jones did. Uh, it's also worth noting that the N64 version of this was a blockbuster exclusive, uh, which is a baffling decision to me, I think, especially for this because the the PC game was pretty successful, and it was kind of a big deal. Like, it was the first time Indiana Jones was rendered in 3D in a video game. game? And it it had a lot of hype and everything, and it was fairly well-received. And this is not the kind of game that you want as a rental exclusive. Um, You you know, when you're going to play Beast Wars trans metal... transitive properties um you know you're only going to want to play it for about 10 minutes not only because it sucks but just because there's just not much there and so you know you you're glad that you only rented the ultimate rental game is uh uh international track and field 2000 yeah exactly because you you play it for an hour and you are very happy you are um whereas a game like this this game it's kind of arduous it's long it's It's it's, long looking through the faq there's 17 levels in this game um we only got about half Three quarters of the way through the second one, yeah, um, kept and, dying a lot. Yeah, and you know this game is not easy, not always no. for the raw right reasons. Um, but to you know, you would probably need to rent it a couple times uh, to make your way through it. And you know, I think there's secrets and treasures to find as well. There should be. Mm. So I mean, this is a game I think they could have sold a decent amount of copies of. Had they it. really hamstrung themselves, you know. And I'm just wondering what the impetus behind all these blockbuster exclusives were. Like, I'm, I'm wondering if it just had to do with the success of the Pokemon Snap promotion. Well, I mean, you know, it's in Blockbuster's said, interest, right? Like, it was maybe in Blockbuster's I mean, interest. yeah, maybe they paid out like really well to the developers. I hope at least because there's really no way for me to track how well these sold. Uh, Blockbuster never made the numbers available, but well, because they only would have, or yeah, how much they rented. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, no, and they eventually they they were selling copies of this as well. Like they would like sell retail copies of oh, it and you could rent it. So you could still buy it. You, you just had buy to buy it. it from Blockbuster. It had to be from Blockbuster. Oh, weird. Um, but again, it's it's hamstringing yourself a little bit because yeah. you can get games anywhere else, but you can only get this one game at this one place. And it just, in two, like, I could almost see that, you know, the idea of having an exclusive thing, I feel like, is kind of a dated idea, but it certainly seems like it would work better now yeah. because you can so much more clearly get that information out. Like, what if you're a hu- I could see you being a huge Indiana Jones fan and not even knowing that this game existed. Absolutely. Because, you know, you go to Hollywood Video. Yeah. And, and I mean, these days, if you want to find a copy of this for N64, it's hard to find. It, these are, these are, this is a pretty rare one. It's like 50 or 60 And, uh... But I understand this is kind of the way to play it. This is the version that has the mm. best graphics. It has uh, uh, improved controls. It has some original music. This game in had there. improved controls. This game had that's improved a, that's controls a, that's a, over the PC. Disturbing thought. It is. It's a little scary. But yeah, apparently it was a little better in this. Uh, all right, so I have the plot here. I copied it down from the manual because I feel like this is a plot-heavy game. So I need to. I'm going to give you the whole thing. You want to give me some low uh, uh, Indiana Jones theme in the background? <laughs> 
Historical note. The oldest known real machine, a fused and corroded set of gears, was found by sponge divers in 1900 off the coast of Greece. It dates from a shipwreck in 78 BC. Some scholars think that it could be a mechanical planetarium described by Archimedes, but no one knows for sure. 1947. World War II was over. Dr. Henry Indiana Jones Jr., exhausted by conflict, is trying to resume his digging career in the American Southwest, far from the excitement of his treasure-hunting past. In truth, however, peace and quiet are boring companions. Fortunately for Indy's adventurous soul, the world is still a dangerous place. The Soviet Union has slammed an iron curtain down across Europe, provoking the Cold War that will occupy East and West for half a century. Communist agents are everywhere, searching for a weapon to tip the balance of power in their favor. And they may have found something useful in the desert ruins of Babylon. That's where King Nebuchadnezzar II built the legendary Tower of Babel 2,600 years ago. The Bible portrays it as a failed attempt to reach heaven inspired by pride. But Genedy Volodnikov, there we go, yeah, an unorthodox Russian scholar thinks the tower housed a machine to reach across the dimensions of space and time, inspired by the winged god Marduk. When gears begin to clatter, alarmed Babylonians toppled the tower, scattering four of the marshal's disciples, and oh, four of Marduk's disciples, and parts of the machine to the far corners of the globe. Join Indy as he races the Soviets to recover those parts and stop them from repairing Marduk's infernal machine. <sighs> <sighs> so much plot, so much exposition. So, that, um, yeah, I, I have a question about yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. Would you say that the Indiana Jones um, movies and universe is supernatural? And yes, okay. I think. I mean, if you look at the end of Raiders, yeah, yeah, I would say it is. Okay, so the idea of people, you know, going into another dimension doesn't. It's not it doesn't base. seem unreasonable. All no, right. like a lot of people had problems with King uh, Crystal Skull had aliens in it, and I'm just like, that's not really a problem for me like this whole series kind of deals with that it's the rest of the stupid shit in that movie and uh, um, second I look, question yeah do you think indiana jones and hellboy exist in the same universe god i hope so i mean i, I wouldn't want to live in a world that 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 should you know, be the new indie movie oh is god. the crossover with the new hellboy movie dear lord that it's sounds a team amazing up of, oh that, we've that would make sense for. for him to be older on that too because mm-hmm. like hellboy is roughly his same age yeah so yeah oh man i want this okay uh, I did look into it a little bit, that historical note of what they were talking about. Uh, the, the concept of the infernal machine was inspired by something called the Antikytheria mechanism, uh, which is thought to be the earliest known modern machine. They, they found it, like they said, off the coast of Greece in 1900, and uh, they suspect the device was used to calculate a path of the stars and help uh, draft seafaring sh- charts. But like it says in the manual, no one actually knows. But it has a series of interlocking gears that you can crank and turn. So pretty advanced for the time. And uh, also Marduk is a real mythological figure. He's a Sumerian god of the sun, and he's kind of king of the Sumerian pantheon. So he's their Zeus. Yeah, and I mean, I appreciate, I mean, this game definitely did a good job with the presentation. Yeah. Um, it yeah. has intro movies. Um, it's all fully voice acted. Um, the guy doesn't really sound like Harrison Ford, but he's audible and he sounds okay. He, You know who he sounded like to me was... Uh, Remember the old Disney VHS clamshells and, like, you would always have mm-hmm. the previews beforehand with the same voice for everything? <laughs> it sounded like that guy. Okay. I don't know. I'll I, look you into can't it. play that guy's voice in my head. His but. name is Doug Lee in real life. Uh, yeah. And, I, I, again, yeah, I don't think he's really trying to sound like Harrison Ford directly. Uh, I think he's just kind of sound trying to sound like a gruff man. Yeah. And the, the facial models of him don't even really look like Harrison Ford either. No, and the mouth doesn't move. I mean, no. it, this game certainly – I don't think that this game – 
looks very good, but... Um, For the time, you can cut it a lot of slack. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. I'm not sure that it... It doesn't have a lot of personality to it. Maybe that's just because the first couple levels are just sort of in the desert. Yeah. And, um, but everything, you know, he looks kind of... You pointed out that he looks like the voodoo doll of Indiana Jones yeah, from yeah. Uh, the Temple of Doom. Yeah, he does. More and than actual Indiana Weirdly, Jones. his legs don't move. Like, <laughs> if, if he's swimming, like, his arms will move or he'll, like, hover a little bit back and forth, but his legs don't kick. Same with, like, if you're hanging from something, your legs are just, like, dead below your waist, you know? And, in, in you know, like, look at Uncharted or something. Like, their, their legs are swinging to give them momentum while they're moving from, like, handhold to handhold. And this one just looks very jarring. But, no, it doesn't... It, it, it looks like it's aged, but it doesn't look terrible. It and looks like some thought went into they it. They put real effort. I mean, for as much as you read that story, they seem to put real effort into following through on that story yeah. with cutscenes and people explaining that stuff to you. Um, and, you know, a clear indication of what you're doing in each level. I mean, yeah, we get... Uh, it didn't mention that in the manual, but uh, you get called to action by uh, a character named Sophia Hapgood, who's a CIA agent and kind of an ex-girlfriend of uh, Indies who... Calls him into action because he's bored. It's two years <laughs> after the end of Last Crusade, and uh, he's got nothing to do. And, uh, yeah. So uh, it, it takes you kind of all over the world. Eventually, we, if we kept playing, we would have gotten to uh, levels in the Sudan, in Mexico, in the Philippines, and in Kazakhstan. Um, where was this part? This part was like in Well, It was, in, uh, it was in Babylon. Babylon. Yeah, 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 yeah. The first level is just in the southwest, which is kind of just a training level of indie futzing around there. And then the second level is actually in Babylon. Well, and the story of this and the, the direction of the game in general was overseen by a guy named Hal Barwood, who uh, I loved this take on Wikipedia because it said he always considered Indy an action hero. Oh, wow. Hot, hot what take. a unique hot take, take on Indiana Jones' yeah. beloved action hero. <laughs> but uh, Hal Barwood, he's, he's like an old friend of both George Lucas and Steven Spielberg. He's worked with them several times. He did uh, uncredited screenplay rewrites on Close Encounters of the Third Kind. Uh, he did. He worked on early projects for both of them, like Sugarland Express and THX 1138. And he wrote the screenplay for uh, a, a movie I liked a lot when I was younger, uh, Dragon Slayer. I okay. don't know if you ever saw I that. Don't, I don't know that one. <clears throat> Starring Peter McNichol as a Dragon Slayer, <laughs> which is a weird thought. Um, yeah. Okay. So, yeah. Of course, he's not voiced by Harrison Ford, and I would say the gameplay here is very familiar to anyone who's ever played a Tomb Raider game. Um, yeah. You. You, know. you. It feels like. I mean. I honestly haven't played a Tomb Raider game, at least for the PS1 era. I haven't you know played I much. I haven't either. Um, Weird. So it, it just kind of missed on that. I mean, it also feels like very sort of... Do you have you know those demakes where they'll take modern franchises and they'll say like what would this look like if it was on the t-? there's a demake of Halo for the Atari 2600 nice. um, and this game feels like a demake of Uncharted. I made that the, same exact note. Yeah, yeah, yeah. for the N64 it. <laughs> Um, you know, it's, it almost, you know, is note for note what you do in Uncharted. There, you take very long floaty jumps Mm -hmm. and grab onto the sides of platforms and sort of shimmy across them, which I don't know. I mean, is hilarious how often that sort of stuff happens in games because the instant I was holding on with only my hands, I would just fall. Oh, I would fall immediately. Yeah. Yeah. The ability of these characters to pull themselves up using only their hands and seem to have no issues with it is crazy. Uncharted is extra ridiculous about that because I think we're supposed to think and make and create this like this every man. And I'm just like, man, you were like 
ultimate Beastmaster. You are you are the American Ninja Warrior that you're able to do this shit whole, all the time. So many times, just holding on with one hand and, just and like jumping behind the him, fact yeah. that they still even animate him like with like little love handles. Even it's like, come on, this dude would not have love handles ever. He's a he's a, a monster. And, and yeah, and then it just those moments are sort of intercut by you picking up uh, various treasures, places, and then there's gunplay sequences, mm-hmm. and you're fighting Russians, which I believe are enemies in Uncharted. Also, yeah, um, uh, yeah, yeah. At least in the second one. Yeah. Yeah, and so the but everything you know, as you would expect from a game that's you know eighteen years old, mm-hmm. is a lot worse, and it's a lot stiffer. Um, indie has a very bad habit of like bouncing off of stuff. Yeah, it's one of these weird platforming games where it's not like the game like Mario. I would think of like as a free platforming game in the sense that you can just run and jump on whatever, and you have you have sort of full control over the way you jump. Mm-hmm. Whereas a game like this, there's very set things that they want you to jump to. Yeah, and there's a set animation in the way you jump, and there's only some parts you can grab onto. So if you jump and you've been sort of aligned the wrong way, you just kind of bounce off and fall into the water or something. Yeah. It's not consistent about how um, it handles your jump. It also plays a lot like, uh, it looks a lot like Ocarina of Time, which it would have come after, um, right? Yeah, yeah, it would come out. The Ocarina of Time uh, turning 20 uh, a couple weeks ago, actually. Okay. Yeah, because yeah, so. you have this wheel of items up in the corner of left C, down C, and right C. Yeah. Um, where you can keep your guns and your weapons. And I think that was a smart decision to, to borrow that mm-hmm. from Ocarina of Time because that's, that's a really good, effective way to have, like, your items on hand. And you can switch quickly between them. And you use the Z, the Z button to sort of swing the camera behind you as well as to lock on enemies. Which, again, is uh, a, a great idea. It's something that more games should have ripped off in this era. Uh, it's not as well implemented here because uh-huh. you definitely need to be in range. Uh, and if you're close enough to have them targeted, like they're your enemy targeted, then they're close enough to shoot you and hit you and kill you, uh, which happens a lot. Yeah. You died a lot in this game. This is maybe the most we've died in a game we've played so far. A gun, uh, you know, the Z targeting and lock-on system I think works well in Zelda because you're mostly fighting with a sword. Yeah. So at least there's a mechanic of having to gauge your distance. Um, but And then other people are mostly using melee things. When your only mechanic is a lock-on targeting and you're using guns, yeah. it's not fun because it's not clear how you're supposed to avoid their shots or what the mechanic... You just sort of lock onto them and jam on the B button until they die. And it's it's got a weird habit of like... It'll snap to the nearest thing that you can target on, and then it'll stick to it. So, like, there's a situation where we are walking through a hallway. There's a, uh, a Russian soldier in the hallway, and on either side of the door are two explosive barrels. Yeah. So we kept locking on the barrels. Don't, don't shoot! Don't shoot the barrel! Yeah, if we shoot the barrels, we're going to die. Uh, but if we don't shoot the guy, he's going to kill us. So we're just kind of left in this weird scrambly situation. And health is a little hard to find as well. Uh, you can purchase it from little stores in between levels, mm-hmm. or you can find it on bodies of enemies that you kill. You but irritatingly have to put away whatever you're holding before you can pick up items, yeah. which sort of slows things down. They put a lot of emphasis on the B button. So, like, everything you equip is going to go to your B button, and then when you unequip it, that's when you can grab stuff and uh, grab ledges and things like that. Yeah, like, This does feel like a very modern game in the sense that stuff is pretty context-sensitive, and there's a lot of sort of moments where it cuts into a cinematic cutscene. Mm-hmm. Um, but again, it feels like, you know, a dated modern game. It does, um, for sure. And for that comparison that we made to Zelda, um, 
You know, sometimes I get annoyed at Zelda because you don't have the ability to jump. Mm -hmm. But when you play a game like this that's sort of fixed in your movement, you realize, oh, it's kind of nice that you can't jump in Zelda so you don't have to do all this annoying platforming. It's sort of... It's very unclear the distance that Indy can jump. It's very true. And I think the biggest problem... I was kind of on board with this game until some of the more precise platforming sections. I'm like, all right, I mean, this looks pretty good. It plays fine. Uh, they've got some nice, like they've got a nice Indiana Jonesy kind of spirit to mm-hmm. it. Uh, and you're kind of, I mean, you're legitimately it. curious about the story. Yeah. It definitely feels like it, it was fits in the Indiana Jones context. Absolutely, and like, it play, it's fun to have a. It's really cool to have. Have you ever played a game that's based on a French, like part of a French media franchise, where you're like, "Hey, this feels like a cool side story, like almost like we're getting an extra movie to the thing." I mean, I, I what it immediately springs to mind for me is uh, uh, Chronicles of Riddick. Yeah, yeah. No, that's I mean, a wonderful no, Riddick example. is not a franchise I particularly care about, but those games are great. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that, I think that's what this kind of has that feel for it. But it all kind of falls apart when you need to be doing a lot of precise jumping and navigating because, first of all. Uh, a lot of the backgrounds look the same. Mm-hmm. So sometimes we, we found ourselves like we would get to a new area, but we weren't really clear on if it was a new area at first. So then we would backtrack and uh, kind of mess that up. And then, yeah, like we said, there's there's a section early on in level two where we need to figure out how to get from this ledge to another ledge. And there's like little compartments carved along the walls. Eventually we figured we could hang from one of the ledges and jump in between them. But it wasn't clear, like, if we dropped what we would catch below us. So, like, it was a lot of trial and error. And then once we figured mm-hmm. out what we had to do, it still took a little while to get the controls to cooperate. And then it's very annoying because really the only thing that you're doing there is getting around a little 10-inch 10, 10 ledge from the water that Indy can't climb up on. And it's just – it's not consistent in terms of what he can climb on and what he can't. And so, like you said, it just sort of divulges into trial and error. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so, I mean, that's where it just kind of fell apart for me a little bit. Um, And, yeah, we just kind of wound up wandering around trying to not die. Uh, We wandered out. So we got through that puzzle we were just talking about, and we wandered in the hallway. And then immediately there's a a guard right there. And it takes you a minute to pull your gun out. Like, you have to press the button, then it'll go It takes me a minute to pull my gun out. I try to to keep it in an accessible spot, but, you know. I keep it in an ankle holster at all times, Mm -hmm. just because you never know. Um, But, yeah. So, yeah, I mean, and you just kind of have to trial and error. Like, you're going to die at this part, and then you need to remember to go through with your gun already drawn so yeah. that you'll survive this. I mean, luckily the game has checkpoints that are pretty forgiving. Characters, uh, enemies seem to stay dead. Um, you know, if you shoot them and then die and then revive at the checkpoint, the ones you shot are dead. So you could definitely yeah. grind your way through this game. It's just a question of, is that what you want to do? Yeah, yeah. And, you know, maybe it is. I'm not here to tell you how to live your life. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Go for it. Go for it. Jump into stuff. Yeah. Shoot barrels. Grind your way through a mediocre Indiana Jones game. Go ahead. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, so it's... I don't know. I don't know. I find myself kind of like, I don't really know where to rank this Well, even. this game is... I feel like if this game played better yeah. in the sense that it didn't have this irritating, very stiff platforming, mm-hmm. and maybe if it had a more natural... Um, you know, gun gunplay element that was just felt less random. This game would be probably an N sixty four classic. I mean, um, if I was I was getting real excited in the early going of this game because I'm just like, man, okay, this this could be like a little sleeper that everybody forgot because it went straight to blockbuster. Yeah, because <laughs> like it's a mediatic. Yeah, production value is very good. Um, 
the you know the the level design is okay um and the inventory system is nice yeah. um and you know it makes pretty good use of the Indiana Jones license which is a great license mm-hmm. um i you know with all those other areas you said um that you visit it sounds really cool um it's just not that fun to play i would love it's, to see like an hd modern day remake of this story yeah, like, the I thing is, that really game fun. would just be Uncharted. It would. Which is fine. It's fine. Yeah. Do that. Yeah, do that. That's fine. Because, like we said, Tomb Raider uh, took off like from what Uncharted started to do with what they set out to at first. So, I mean, I, I don't think it's a problem. Just keep doing that. Yeah, just making yeah, make an Indiana Jones licensed knockoff of Uncharted. That's this. And there really there hasn't been a proper Indiana Jones game since 2009. That was the Staff of Kings. And then okay. there's been the, the Lego Indiana Jones that came out in between. But, I mean, those don't really count as a full Indiana Jones game. Um, I don't know. Do you have anything else to say? You want to move on to the rankings on this one? Uh, the, yeah, just that yeah, this yeah. game is... Uh, it's, a missed, it's a missed opportunity. It has all of the sort of bells and whistle. It has... You know, games are composed of, like, two things, right? I mean, they're composed of a lot more. Mm-hmm. But, like, you have the basic gameplay elements, like, is this game fun to play? And then you have all the things that sort of make it shine and special and, like, presentation and, like, you know, does this game really draw me in? And this game does sort of draw you in. It just doesn't have that base component of, yeah. like, uh, this game is pleasant. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> And controls what well, the character does, what I want him to do, and which that's is sort of the baseline thing. Uh, that's just the frustrating thing. This is like one of those so close but so far kind of yeah. situations. Uh, so I'll I'll go first with the rankings on this. Each week we're ranking every single game that we played. This one brings us up to ninety eight. So we're closing in on that big one zero zero digits. Uh, I am going to put this one at number forty five. Okay, that, uh, for for context, that's right below Tetrisphere and right above Arrow Gauge. Uh, yeah, I, I wanted to like this one a lot more than I did. It came real close, uh, but those jumps are a problem. Those yeah. jumps are a real, real problem in a game that revolves almost entirely around jumping and climbing and exploring. That part needs to work, and it just doesn't really work here. Yep, I I agree with you. I'm putting it at number 36, um, which is right behind Mace the Dark Age. Um, it's, you know, it, it's close to being great if that jumping mechanic felt natural if this game controlled like super mario 64 it probably would have been in the top 20 yeah um but it controls like i don't know a game that controls bad super mario 32 yeah it plays like that it controls like it's like half a good mario game yeah okay oh got it i just got that okay that was it was too deep i'm like wait isn't that super mario world you know what i just learned exists this is a total aside but i I just learned there's a game in japan called mario sweater have you ever heard of this no okay it was it's literally just like a, a sewing machine company licensed mario and they put it on the Famicom, and you design your own sweaters with Mario characters on it. You design your own patterns and everything like that. And then you can, like, send in pictures of your designs, and they would make sweaters for you. Oh, wow. So it's kind of like uh, there's a Jackbox game where you can yeah. do that, like the T-Shirt Fury or whatever it Has is. Has anybody oh, – I was just talking about this with some other friends. Has anyone uh, – listeners, tell me if you've ever bought one of those Jackbox T-Shirts. Because yeah. I've been often tempted to. Me too. Because, you know, there's really funny ones at the time. But then I just wonder, would I ever wear a t-shirt that was just this weird in joke from this one time i had with my friends yeah yeah i feel like everyone would ask me like oh what's your shirt about and i'd be like uh (laughs) it's like i don't even remember the context (laughs) yeah (laughs) but uh if you like those jackbox games check out hello from the magic tavern which is a podcast made by a lot of the same guys who write and perform in those games there it's a fantastic show 
Uh, and I, I don't know why I keep pr- promoting shows that are already <laughs> yeah. more successful than us. I don't know what that does. It's like, it's like tossing a bucket of water in the ocean. Maybe you assume that those people listen to us. Or like <laughs> someone will be like, hey, I heard about your podcast from Ultra 64. And then those people give us a shout back. Please like us. Yeah. yeah. Uh, anyway. Uh, well, thank you everybody for tuning in uh, to our wonderful little Indiana Jones uh, retrospective here. Next week, join us for... Uh, something uh, I'm pretty excited about. I'm curious to see how this plays on the N64. We are playing Doom 64. Yeah, Didn't we already right. play Doom 64? We played Quake. Ah, I know. And yeah, it shows you how excited I am about it. it. Oh, man, you should be more excited about Doom. <laughs> All right, well, uh, thank you very much. I'm going to uh, put this uh, Indiana Jones cartridge back in this very ornate uh, box that it came in. I don't know. Let me. Can you help Whoa. me with the lid real quick? Steve, look behind you. Oh. A- don't look at it. There's a giant boulder coming down! Oh, God! And then we cut to a burger grilling, um, a la UHF. <laughs> Good night, everybody. Good night, everybody.